Today's guest, John Alcock, has succeeded big time many times. He's also failed big time. But what seemed at first like some of the worst things in his life were the things that began to wake him up. We'll learn more in just a moment. Hello, everyone. My name is Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk. Today, our guest, John Alcock, is head in high regard for his work as a partner and trial lawyer with the global law firm of DLA Piper. John's professional successes have included multi-million lawsuits in favor of his clients. Mr. Alcock, welcome to Mind Talk. Good, good day. How are you today? I am doing well. You heard me describe you as having succeeded big time and also failing big time. So let's start there. Give us an example of some of your big time wins and not so much. Well, um, you know, I, I went to some pretty good schools, Boston College and Harvard Law School, and graduated from both of them with honors. Uh, I've been, as you noted, a lawyer at a, you know, one of the largest, if not the largest law firms in the world. And I've won my share of pretty large trials. Um, you know, on the other hand, <laughs> you know, I, I uh, went through a pretty challenging time in my life with a divorce and other things, which actually led to the book. Uh, and I've had my share of multi-million dollar losses um, in trials. So, um, like like everyone, um, life has had some successes and life has had some uh, challenges, let's say. You know, for folks listening, at first blush, you went to great schools. Um, you are working with a prestigious law firm. You hold uh, an important position within the law firm. What could go wrong? Life for you has got to be fabulous, easygoing, and filled with riches. <laughs> well, it's like everyone else. Um, you know, you can look from Prince to um, a- 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 anyone that you encounter in your daily life. Uh, no matter no matter what successes that you get. Um, no one comes into this life uh, without having challenges. Um, you're going to get sick. Um, ultimately, you're going to die. People that are close to you are going to die. You're going to face challenges with relationships. No one's immune from any of those things, uh, no matter how many good things uh, that, that occur in your life. I, I'm wondering what you have written a book entitled 40 Things I Wish I'd Told My Kids. And I have to share with the audience the subtitle, which is Mindful Messages About Success, Happiness, Leather, Pickles, and the Use and Misuse of Imagination. What brought you to writing a book of this sort? Well, uh, it was um, in the mid-2000s, and uh, I was going through a challenging time. I was going through a divorce and, and other related challenges. And I started um, getting interested in mindfulness uh, as a result of that. Um, went to uh, lectures, um, read many, many, many books, uh, went to talks. And I have three daughters, and uh, I wanted to let them know uh, about some of the things that I was learning. 
And I couldn't find actually any book or even set of books that explained the notions in an easy to understand way uh, to a Western audience. So on Father's Day of 2009 in a London hotel room, uh, I started writing them emails. Um, and over a year and a half period or so, um, they mounted uh, to a, a couple hundred actually, I think at the end. And um, in the course of that, they shared some of the emails with some of their friends and their friends with their friends and parents. And um, a, somewhat of a consensus developed that I should, I should turn these emails into a book. Uh, and so that's what happened. Sounds like your daughters are very powerful in your life. <laughs> in a good way. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the notion, uh, you share many ideas in the book, and one of them is that uh, people often tend to look for happiness in the wrong direction. And in fact, you say 90% of your worries are wrong. How can that be? Just as a nation, we spend so much time worrying about so much. There's a lot of ways to answer that question. One way is uh, our systems have somewhat of a negative bias, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it's probably why we still exist as a species, uh, because you know when we were cave people, and our brains and nervous systems are really not that much different than when we were cave people, um, having an overdose of fear uh, was probably a very, very good thing. Um, the chance of encountering a saber-toothed tiger was great. The chance of encountering warring tribes was great. Uh, the chance of encountering uh, extreme danger when you out, went out for your daily round to try to acquire food for your family was great. Uh, and so uh, having a system that had a high fear bias was a good idea uh, because if you made a small mistake, um, it was over for you. Um, our systems have that same fear bias, um, but our lives in 99.9% in .9 of cases of people and, and virtually all people in, in the United States uh, don't face those same risks, but we apply that same system, uh, that same fear bias to the very, very different level of uh, risks and unpleasantness that we encounter and we apply the same degree of worry uh, to them um, that our systems apply to much greater risks uh, in a very different era and so that's I think why we worry so much and that's why 90% um, and actually that's probably a gross understatement um, some extraordinarily high percentage of the things we worry about uh, don't deserve the attention we give them. Well, you're, what you're describing, though, it's, it sounds like you're saying that essentially, I mean, it's in our DNA to worry. That was a survival tool. That was a way of being hyper alert in order to literally live into the next moment or the next day or the next week. So something that was so much a part of our survival, just as a species, how do we all of a sudden stop that? Uh, your, DNA, your DNA doesn't dictate your life. Um, it gives you perhaps a predisposition one way or another, um, but you always have a choice. And the basic 
um, focus of the book uh, is that mindfulness allows you to create a space uh, between internal and external events or stimuli and your reaction or response to those. And it's in that space wherein lies your freedom and your ability to live a life uh, that's much happier <laughs> than one dictated by your DNA. You have referenced mindfulness, and you certainly talk about it in the book. Now, clearly you are not a clinician. So from your perspective as a non-clinician, what does mindfulness mean anyway? Well, um, I'll give you the classic definition or a classic definition by John Kabat-Zinn, and then I'll give you a little bit of my um, additional uh, interpretation of it. Perfect. Uh, the, classic def the classic definition is paying attention in a particular way on purpose to your present moment experience without judgment. And so that's basically uh, a, a commonly used definition. Um, an additional little um, uh, uh, color to the definition that, that I like to say is it's paying attention on purpose to your present moment internal and external experience without judgment with openness and with curiosity so that you're able to see things more clearly and able to select the wisest intention and action for your future happiness to look as many people do who talk about mindfulness the idea of being focused on the moment being aware without judgment is really hard for so many people the judgment piece uh, is something that we almost tend to do automatically some much more than others but when you insert the concept of curiosity which is certainly one that I use very often um, with with my clients, curiosity really opens you up and it almost makes judgment, if not it does make judgment impossible when you're about the business of being curious. There's no space to blame and shame and judge. Uh, right. I, and that's why I, I, I've added when I talk about it to people, openness and curiosity. Um, the, the without judgment is is a very very sound way of describing it, um, but as you say, um, our our nature is to judge. Um, in part, our nature is to judge to determine whether or not there's a saber toothed tiger there or whether there's a warring tribe just outside our door waiting for us. Right. So, um, but that's why I think adding the openness and curiosity are are sort of like positive. Um, features uh, that, as you as you very accurately point out, makes it practically impossible to to judge. 
I'm curious, you have been, I just described you as a trial lawyer. Lawyers, people in the justice, quote-unquote, system, part of their jobs is to judge. So help us understand how you as a lawyer, as a trial attorney, are able to use the lack of judgment in your life. Look, there's no problem with judging. Uh, Judging is very important. We have to make wise discernments uh, as to all kinds of things, Um, both when I'm sitting in a courtroom and trying to decide uh, how I'm going to cross-examine a person, um, and in my life uh, when I decide what kind of an exercise program I'm going to have and how hard I'm going to stick to it. Um, And and so making there's nothing wrong with making judgments. the problem is uh, when you do it every second, every single second, and you're not fully aware of the basis for your judgment or the intention with which you're carrying to the judgment, that's the problem. And so um, that's why when I think of mindfulness, I think of it as kind of a two-part thing. One, it provides clarity so that you can see things uh, without a bias or with as little of a bias as we possibly can have um, so that you can then apply um, you can call it judgment you can call it discernment you can call it whatever you want uh, but the ability to select a wise intention in that moment uh, that is responsive to the stimuli that you're being uh, responding to uh, rather than reactive Uh, based on habit uh, or a fixed pattern of judgment. You're using words that suggest choice uh, on all kinds of levels. And indeed, you say uh, in 40 Things I Wish I Told My Kids that one is not stuck with whatever thoughts arrive. We can change them. So again, to those who are saying, how can I change the thoughts that come into my head? They're just there. I have no control over them. What do you say to those, those folks? Well, that's really what mindfulness is all about. It's about recognizing that uh, thoughts are going to come into your head. You don't have necessarily control over those thoughts. It's like your mouth. Um, It produces saliva. Try to stop your mouth from producing saliva. You won't be able to do it. You'll have the same result if you try to to keep your brain from producing thoughts. (laughs) You, You can't do it. But what thoughts you choose to pay attention to and what thoughts you choose to honor and then what thoughts will... Stay um, in the arena of your mind uh, are all are all choices that, that you have. Uh, you just have to develop the capacity to to do it and develop the capacity to recognize that you in fact do have a choice. It sounds like you're saying that everyone, no matter where they come from, no matter what they look like, no matter what their life experiences are, they do have the gift and the power of choice, which is 
extraordinary. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Um, it's just as much a part of our being as uh, judgment um, or breathing, um, um, not accidentally uh, breathing, uh, that um, we, we all have the ability to make uh, those kinds of choices. There's something for some folks, I, I would suggest that there's something wonderful and freeing about that, but there's also for some folks something perhaps kind of unnerving and overwhelming. If I have a choice about the thoughts that I have, my goodness, I might have choices about a whole bunch of things. Now what do I do? Well, um, that's what life is all about. Um, It's discovering what your own unique set of capabilities are and, in my view, what gifts you have to deliver to the world, um, and then acting uh, to uh, develop the capabilities you have and deliver those gifts to the world. The idea that we, each of us, has our own unique gift to deliver to the world in our own unique way is I think it's a lovely thought. It's a powerful thought. And for many people, it may actually be a new thought. Yeah, and I, and I didn't say gift. I said gifts um, because each of us has um, a wide variety of gifts. Uh, and, you know, some we may not be able to uh, develop or deliver uh, to the world at a particular point in time in our lives uh, because there's other things that we have to attend to. Uh, but there's always a certain number of gifts that we can deliver to the world. Um, and it's you know our job to figure out what they are, um, cultivate them, and, uh, d- and deliver them. I am delighted that you corrected me from gift to <laughs> gift. In part because, you know, people often have, some people often have a, a sense of seeing themselves really as so much smaller than they are, so much smaller than their capacity is. So thank you for that correction. Well, look, it's a big part of the book. And and it's, uh, I mean, there's one uh, chapter in there where I talk about that, you know, I'm never going to be a professional basketball player. I mean, I'm never going to be. At one point, that was like the major goal of my life. And I thought (laughs) it would be the gift I could give, okay? But I'm 5'9", and I can't jump, and now I'm 62 years old, so I'm totally, I'm totally out of that game. Um, and so, but a lot of people um, kind of uh, cabin themselves and focus on, oh, I have to be um, a piano player, or I have to be um, the world's best comedian, or I have to be something. And uh, they foreclose um, the opportunity of uh, developing all kinds of gifts they have uh, by by limiting um, their their scope, uh, and therefore they deprive the world of a lot of benefits that that they could deliver if they just broadened uh, their view um, and chose uh, some aspects of their current life that they really could develop very easily or more easily. John, uh, in terms of looking at your subtitle, 
Some of it I get, some of it not so much. So mindful messages about success and happiness, I got that. Leather and pickles, you've got to help me out with that. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, each of them requires a little bit of an explanation because they involve a story, but not very much. So we'll take leather first. Okay. Um, <laughs> so there, there once was a king in a kingdom long ago before the invention of shoes. And his young son, the prince, went out and walked around the kingdom and on a path stumbled on a root that was sticking up out of the path. And the other foot landed on a rock. And so he severely hurt both his feet. And so he came back and the king said, to one of his ministers, get the armies out. We're going to go through the whole kingdom, and we're going to pick up every rock, and we're going to clear every uh, route, so that when my young prince uh, walks around uh, the kingdom, uh, he, he won't have or ever have any pain or harm come to him ever in his life. Wow. And so, the, yeah, and so the minister said, you know, um, I don't think that's going to work because, first of all, there's too many paths for us to, to cover with, with the army that we got. And also, by the time we get done picking up all the rocks, more are going to pop up. And by the time we get all the roots uh, uh, cut, uh, more are going to grow. Why don't you get the prince to get some leather and construct some perfectly fitting coverings for his feet and that way he can go out on the pass and if he encounters rocks and roots um they won't hurt him as much if at all um and he won't have to worry about looking down the path as to whether there's rocks or roots so the story is a little bit about uh is is exactly about the way western society lives their lives versus a potentially wiser way of living. We spend all our time trying to imagine what problems and pitfalls are going to arise, how we can avoid them, or how we can um, not, not do things that would allow us to be put in the position of experiencing them. And we spend essentially no time creating the internal strength and capabilities that would allow us to weather the problems that for sure will arise. Um, and we spend no, no time developing those capabilities. So that's leather. Tell me about pickles. Okay, so pickles, um, so you get up one morning and you've got a couple of kids and you get up a little late, they get up a little late, uh, you rush downstairs, you're in a big hurry, so you're not thinking mindfully or moving mindfully. You're making their lunch, you grab the pickle jar because you want to put pickles in their lunch. You take it out, put the pickles in, and then when you put the, the top of the jar back, you, you don't put it on correctly. It's, so to speak, a jar. And so it's cracked and not, not totally solidly on. But you don't notice because you're not acting mindfully. You put it in in the refrigerator. Two days later, you come down, same thing happens. You're in a rush. You go to grab the pickles, and, of course, you grab it by the jar cover. You take it out, and it smashes on the floor, 
and pickles everywhere, glass everywhere. You rush around to clean it up, run out to school with the kids. Next morning, you come down, and you're in your bare feet because you're again rushing, and you know what happens, right? You step on a shard of glass, and you find yourself in the emergency room. So what has happened here? What has happened is a, a lack of mindfulness uh, at a particular point in time creates negatives as a direct result of your failed intention, your, your intention to hurry as opposed to your intention to be mindful. And so that's really the notion of karma, that, you know, if you have a unwise intention, it's very likely to lead to an unwise action that will then have unwise implications uh, in your life. But the other thing the story illustrates about karma is you always have the opportunity to change. And in this little story, um, an unwise intention and action in the first instance, putting the, the thing on a jar, wouldn't have had any impact at all on, on, on the person's life if the next time they grabbed it, they weren't in a hurry and noticed that it was a jar and they wouldn't have smashed it and they wouldn't end it up in the hospital. So the thing about karma that everybody thinks is, um, you know, you, you get what you sow or something like that. Um, but the other thing that nobody thinks about it is um, you can always change your karma. You always have the opportunity to approach things with a wiser intention, and the chances are, not guaranteed, but the chances are you'll get a more healthy result um, and therefore a more beneficial life. So that's Pickles. So it sounds like these are both wonderful examples of the health of mindfulness that can actually spur you on to more creative things, safer things, just in terms of your spirit, um, and and things that will help others. Yes. I mean, the the basic, or at least my basic premise about mindfulness uh, is that mindfulness will, will naturally lead uh, to, to um, a happier life. Um, your body, when you cut yourself, um, you may need to put a Band-Aid on it to keep the germs out, um, but the body heals itself. John, where do we go to get more information about 40 Things I Wish I Told My Kids? Well, we've creatively named the website Three Things I Wish I Told My Kids. Wow. And so um, <laughs> it's very creative. Uh, so if you go on there, you'll, you'll find um, a, a, a homepage that has a variety of information. Um, you'll find a page on mindfulness and education, uh, which has some very interesting information, including a PowerPoint presentation on basically the history of it and a link to the Sea Change website. Um, and an author's page that has some uh, a, a series of very short videos uh, discussing some of the topics actually that we talked about today. So lots of information at forty things I wish I'd told my kids dot com. 
You got it. John Alcock, thank you so much for joining us today and for walking us through some of the 40 things you wish you told your children. It was really fun. I I really appreciate it, and I had a great time. I am delighted to hear that. And, folks, thank you for joining us on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service. It is not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do with a mental health, medical health, or other professional. Remember, you can always listen to Mind Talk on demand by going to mindtalk.org. I'd love to know where in the world you're listening today, so do send an email to Pamela, P-A-M-E-L-A, at mindtalk.org. Again, that's M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. And remember always, if it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable. You take care. Thank you.